You know, the mark of the beast, that's a mark. It's not a vaccine. It's not anything medical. It's the mark of the beast, a mark. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Rod Hembry. And I'm Janice. And we need to pay attention because we're going through the Bible and it is very interesting as we continue on with Revelation 14 through 16. Now we'll talk about this in a moment, but Corey is here with Ryan. Corey? I'm going to be talking about ancient vineyards and wine today. Ryan? Well, today I'm going to be reading you a selection out of our Quick Study Bible. All right, very good. The Quick Study Bible, of course, was uh, the, the notes from my father were in there. And uh, praise God, it's excellent. We'll look forward to that. What did you do today? Just titled my segment, Born Again. All right, Born Again and Words from Jesus Christ to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Going to be interesting to look at that. Get your Bible guide out and get your Bible out. And let's listen to God as he speaks to us through Revelation. This is going to be fascinating. Revelation 16, verses 1 through 7. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is, and who was, and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And then I heard another from the altar saying, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Revelation chapter 16, verses 1 through 7. Revelation chapter 14 and 16, that's where we're studying today. It is really, really interesting. Now, Revelation 16 begins by describing seven bowls of God's wrath. Remember, we had seven seals. We had seven trumpets. Now we have seven bowls of God's wrath. Now these are held by seven angels being poured out on the earth. So God's wrath is unique. It's different. We have experienced the wrath of man. We have known the wrath of Satan, but the wrath of God seems like there's another level here. Now the apostle Paul tells us, quote, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That, of course, is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. Clearly, if we are saved from the ravages of hell and our sins have all been forgiven, we are not destined for the wrath of God. 
In fact, we learn that God is converging on man because in large part, he refused and avoided God's authority and provision and forgiveness. Ultimately, we cannot ignore God, but we were designed to worship him. At some point, we will all bow down, whether we like it or not, and we will worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that is something. And a lot of people don't understand that, but that's the reason that we have the 150 assignments, at least in the Bible, to praise the Lord and to worship God. Worship is more than singing. It's more than praying. It's living. We have to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't have your Bible guide, let me tell you, last couple of days of this year, let me tell you, you need to get on the list so we will automatically send it to you right away. And we'll get you in January. If you write today, call today, or go online today, you can join us very shortly, like in seconds, online with Seven Bowls of Wrath, which we're studying today, and you can be a part of it. I want to thank everybody this year for your donations. It has been outstanding. Thank you for your donations. When I say that, I mean we've not had any emergencies. No government money was taken. Nothing was taken. We've just lived on the offerings that have come in, and God has used you. And I get emotional, so I'm sorry about that. But God has used you, and so praise the Lord. Thank you, Father, for using our partners in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, amen. Father, I pray today, as we focus on Revelation chapter 16, that you would teach us your ways and show us your paths. Thank you, Lord. And this is an important part of the scripture because, you know, this book is about you. And we thank you, Lord, and we ask that you would show us how to come to you and really communicate your message today. Thank you, Father. And we pray that we would read out of the Bible, not read our ideas into it, but listen to it. Let it change our ideas. So help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen and amen. Chapter 16, the good one. You ready for it? Here it comes. Chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of wrath, the wrath of God on earth. So the first went out and poured out his bowl upon the earth and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast. This happens in the tribulation time. The men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. You know, there's a big problem with the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is a tragic rebellion against God. In some way, every person is marked either for God or for Satan. We're marked either for God or for Satan. That's the truth. And beloved, there's no in-between. You don't have a, well, I'm half marked this and half, you, you can't do that. There's two marks, marked for God and marked for, so what is your mark for God? You come to Jesus Christ and he marks you. In the spiritual, you're marked. And God loves you and has come into your life and you've given him permission. Now, some of us may be in rebellion against God, but God is drawing us back to him. Very important that we need to pay attention. Some of us think we got saved and we really didn't. So that's really important. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 16. This is verse three, watch this. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it became blood, this is important now, as of a dead man. 
blood as of a dead man. His blood's not alive anymore, it's dead. And every living creature in the sea died. You know, that's a major, major upset to the earth. The sea turns to blood and all the sea creatures die because of man's rebellion against God. We will all come to Jesus Christ one way or another. When I say that, that doesn't mean that we're judged to live for eternity, but we are understood that we come to Jesus Christ because he's the one that makes the mark and he'll pull out his book of life and see if our names are written in it. And I pray that your name is written in it. Hopefully mine is written in it because I, well, not hopefully, I know. Because God has given us eternal life and that life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you know you have eternal life. 1 John 5, 11, 12, and 13. So we know we have the eternal life of God, beloved. We need to pay attention to that. Very important. Chapter 16, verse 4. Here, let's go to the Bible and read this because this is interesting. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. A judgment of God. All fresh water, rivers and springs of water, will turn to blood. A major upset in the earth. Sin ends in death, beloved. Jesus offers life. Sin ends in death. Jesus offers life. We need to remember that. See, it really gets simple. If we don't make the choice for Jesus Christ, there is one destiny for us, and that destiny is not eternal life. It is not heaven. I'm just going to be honest about this. What the Bible says, I believe the Bible. And the Bible says, that's not the case. However, if you come to Jesus Christ and ask him to come into your life, then he makes a choice with you. And suddenly your life is made new and you feel the change. You know the change. God has shifted your thinking. Well, you're marked for God and your thinking is marked and he begins to change you and sanctify you. And then you know that when you perish in body and your body is separated, that your spirit lives on with Jesus Christ. You begin to see the Lord as you have never seen him before. That's what it means to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Bottom line, that's what it means. And we can say a lot of things about that, but I'll tell you this, if we know the Lord, we will live forever. If we don't know the Lord, we will not. So it's very important.
You know, normally in the Old Testament and the New Testament, whenever it talks about vineyards and uh, the harvesting of grapes and the turning of grapes into wine, it's a joyful thing. It's a celebration of God's provision for the people and there's merrymaking involved. However, here in Revelation chapter 14, that motif is flipped on its head and it's used in judgment and talking about how the merrymaking of the world and their refusal to repent to God will ultimately end in disaster. And this imagery of vineyards and the treading of grapes is kind of turned on its head and it is no longer joyfulness, but has been turned into mourning. So let's take a look at uh, what normally happened uh, with the harvesting of grapes and the making of wine in the ancient world. The importance of vineyards and their produce to ancient Israel is obvious. In the Bible, wine was widely used in the religious offerings of the law. Vineyards were a common analogy used by the prophets of God, and a grapevine and cluster were brought back to the Israelites as evidence of the fruitfulness of the land before the conquest. Overall, grape production was a large part of the agriculture and society of ancient Israel. Generally, grapevines were cultivated on their own, apart from other fruits and vegetables. There were, however, private orchards and royal gardens that grew grapevines with other fruit trees. These pleasure gardens were generally located close to a home or within a royal city for immediate access to fresh fruit and a beautiful space to relax. The bulk of grapes and their products were cultivated alone in vineyards. Depending on terrain, vineyards could be right next to cities or quite far away from settlements. They could be irrigated or depend solely on rainfall. They could be walled or left unprotected. The prophet Isaiah famously described the founding of a vineyard. His process includes preparing the ground, likely by uprooting plants, bushes, and trees, and clearing stones, then planting the chosen vines, building a wall or fence, probably with the stones removed from the vineyard, watchtowers were added for extra security, and a wine press was cut out of bedrock to process grapes into wine. Due to growing conditions, separately owned vineyards with their own walls could exist close together, which would create narrow pathways for travelers, just like what's described in the Balaam incident and possibly even the lion attack against Samson. Inside the vineyards, grapevines could be allowed to grow on the ground, or to make for easier harvesting and upkeep, the vines would be trained up poles and trellises. When harvest time came, it was cause for great celebration, especially the first usable harvest, which wouldn't have occurred until the fifth year of production for law-following Israelites. The crop of the first three years was to be left, and the fourth year's crop was given to God. Harvest time meant fresh grapes, wine, raisins, vinegar, and a type of grape syrup. It meant singing songs of joy, giving offerings of thanks, and pruning the empty vines for next year's growing season. Vineyards, grapes, and wine were seen as integral to the blessings of God on Israel. If Israel were to reject the covenant they had with God, the loss of their vineyards and their inability to harvest them would be one of the consequences. On the flip side, vineyards were a vital blessing of God to be joyfully celebrated by his covenant people. This is reflected clearly in the rules for warfare. If a man had planted a vineyard and had not yet harvested from it, remember that it could not be harvested until the fifth year, then he was exempt from going to war. The fruit of the vineyard was a blessing from God to be enjoyed.
so again, Revelation chapter 14 really flips the script here uh, on the joyfulness that is usually associated with uh, harvesting of grapes and turning it into wine, you know, fermenting it and increasing its caloric intake to help and aid in the survival of the people. Now, there are a few times this, this negative imagery around, you know, the treading of grapes, uh, it is hinted at in some of the Old Testament prophets, so it's not like it's coming out of nowhere, uh, but it is interesting how the normal positive imagery is kind of flipped on its head to show how what the world has deemed as positive, meaning it's rebellion against God, will ultimately be turned into mourning because they rebelled against God. So, in other words, our definition of pleasing God mm -hmm. in the human sense is not necessarily true, but our definition is derived as we read the Bible. As mm -hmm. we listen to what God has said, mm -hmm. then we know what God wants. So it becomes important to know the Word of God and what it says and to really study it, understand it from the Hebrew and the Greek and the Aramaic and Ezra and all that stuff and to begin to listen to the Lord. That becomes important. Mm -hmm, definitely. Very good. Excellent, Corey. Thank you. Ryan, the Bible, let's go. Yeah, well, I just thought instead of running a segment today, I really wanted to read to you uh, today from our Quick Study Bible. And of course, uh, these are the notes of my beloved grandfather who passed away in 2010. Um, but if you do have a copy of this, then why don't you open it and turn to page 1571. We're going to read the introduction to Revelation. And uh, he writes, in Young Pillars, there is a cartoon of a teenager walking down the street with his girlfriend explaining, you know, I used to be an authority on the book of Revelation until I came across someone who had read it. Probably no other book of the Bible is discussed more and read less than this last revelation written by John. Exiled on the isolated island of Patmos during one of the blood purges of the mad Caesars, John received a vision and recorded it. This became the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is a dynamic book of prophecy and promise. While much of Revelation concerns the agonies during the last days, there is beauty and promise for our future. The new heaven and new earth provide a ray of hope for a world too long lost in the sadness of war. John also has some very practical advice on how to live while we await Christ's coming. Speaking of those saints who had successfully conquered Satan, John says they did so by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. At Calvary, Christ forever defeated the devil. However, each person must make his own personal commitment to the Christ of Calvary before he is freed from the wiles of the enemy. Those who make such a claim and share their testimony with the world live victoriously and a crown is set up for them. Revelation closes with the advice to watch always for his coming. The king is coming. May we be ready at all times. With John we say, even so, come Lord Jesus. You know, that's interesting, Ryan, because the Bible, uh, and of course the Bible is separate, but the notes in the Bible are from my father, and uh, he was a brilliant writer. And uh, he passed away 11 years ago. Uh, suddenly, we didn't expect that to happen, but nevertheless he did. But uh, the, he mentions here that, that John on the Isle of Patmos, now I have been to Patmos, mm -hmm. and today it's a exhort, you know, with a lot of uh, people go to it for their vacation and all that. But I went out and we spent a couple of extra days there with the, with the TV crew. 
I went out by myself into the wild areas of Patmos. It's a very small island. And I looked down, I had boots on, and I walked through the field. And let me tell you something, it is harsh. Hmm. Uh, I had all kinds of things in my boots. I had everything. And it was some, and I can't imagine John having no shoes mm -hmm. or even having just sandals if they permitted prisoners to have them walking out there in the confined areas. There's, a, of course, a, a place of worship there which is dedicated to John, but it is absolutely brutal. Mm -hmm. And the wind is always, always, always going, just constantly. And uh, I thought, you know, John begins to hear this vision and what does that sound like? And he, he describes it. He says, it's like a trumpet, mm -hmm. the voice of a trumpet behind me. And I thought about that and I thought, what if somebody blew a trumpet behind me and I didn't expect it? Mm -hmm. That would be a serious situation. This is not a warm fuzzy, but this is a attention, John. So God writes the, uh, the book of Revelation with attention, John. That's how he writes. He doesn't write, oh, John, how are you doing? He's attention, John, listen to me. And I think we need to understand that. And as we get that, we need to say, okay, Lord, we're paying attention to the book of Revelation. Yeah. And in the last chapter, and I'm done with my sermon now, but in the last chapter, it says, behold, I come quickly. I come quickly. And Jesus warns us to be ready. Jesus warns you, warns me, be ready. I'm coming quickly. You know, we don't have time to mess around with little fights about this and that. We have to be ready for Jesus Christ. Very, very important. Keep that in mind. Janice? He also talks about standing at the door, knocking, and who will let him in. Revelation 3.20. And uh, that's very important too. And perhaps you're feeling that today. Perhaps you're feeling that knocking. There's something stirring inside of you. Um, today's not the day to hesitate. If you want to come to the Lord, then come to the Lord and ask for his forgiveness and ask him to be your savior, that you believe he came and that he died on the cross and rose again three days later and that he paid the cost for your sin, my sin, and extended the gift of eternal life to us in his resurrection. And... Um, so if you feel that inside of your heart today, please do that. Don't wait because we are not promised tomorrow. We, know, we don't know. We don't know. And that really brings me to what I was going to talk about today. Because in this section of Revelation chapter 16, we're talking about the bulls of wrath. These are bulls of wrath of God's wrath. And we've never experienced God's wrath before. We've experienced the wrath of just living on this planet. We've experienced the wrath of Satan dishing out things towards us, but we've never experienced the wrath of God. And this is not something that we want to experience. And so there may be some of you saying, I just don't, I just don't really get it, Janice. I, 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 I don't get, I don't get it. And, and if God is so loving, then why are these bowls of wrath? But I want to bring you back to a time at, at the beginning when I said about born again, and there was a religious leader named Nicodemus, a part of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were always coming at Jesus because he literally offended the things that they stood for. 
and he would come against their thoughts and their beliefs, asking them questions and challenging them on where their thinking was, where their hearts were. And that got to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus came to Jesus at nighttime, in the quiet of night, away from the crowds, away from the, the questions of others. He wanted to come to Jesus in a real and personal way. And he began, he began to talk to him about who, who he was and what that could mean. And Jesus spoke to him. And in the midst of this, there's a really uh, portion of scripture that, that we all know, just about everybody, John 3, 16. But I'm gonna back up. Jesus says in verse 13, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's talking about the day to come when he'll be lifted up on the cross to die for our sins, to pay for our sins with his blood. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now listen to this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Did you hear that? Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He didn't come to condemn me. He came to save us. And this is the time that we're living in right now. You don't have to face the bowls of wrath. You don't have to face these things that Revelation is telling us about. And as Rod said to us earlier, when, when Jesus began to speak to John to write these things, it was like the sound of a trumpet from behind. It was, a, be ready, get ready. This is important. Be at attention. Don't slumber. Don't sleep. I'm standing and I'm knocking at the door. Let me in. That's the creator of the universe speaking to you today. Let him in. Open the door. Ask for his forgiveness. Ask him to enter into you and he will help you to change and grow and live in the design that he purposed just for you. I want to remind you to be a part of our Bible guide. We'll get you on a mailing list and you'll get it every month. And I won't bother you with a lot of letters about fundraising and all that. That's not what we do. We trust the Lord. So I pray that you will become part of this and be, get the letter or get the email and all of that of the Bible guide. So uh, very important. Today we pray, Lord, thank you for the provision you've made for me and the forgiveness of my sin and the gift of eternity from you.